The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. There is a season Welcome to There Is A Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thanks for joining us once again. With each episode of There Is A Season, we endeavor to bring you topics that are relevant to your experience and the way you hope to live this life. And that includes information, insight, and we certainly hope inspiration for dealing with the challenges of each season of your life while embracing the people and opportunities for growth that you encounter. You can contact us through email at any time at bobandgloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. We're working on our website right now, and soon you'll be able to find not only a revised website, but you'll have our shows available out on YouTube and on your favorite podcast provider. So this year has really been like no other in recent memory. Of course, every year has its ups and downs, but this one has been a doozy. And that's putting it mildly, which just goes to show that you can plan only so much. There's a great deal beyond our control. And while we're always urging listeners to prepare for change, for getting older, and for laying out a plan for care in our later years, we know that often circumstances can change and that options can sometimes be limited. And that's one of the things we've recognized and discussed when we've talked about residential options later in life, right, Gloria? Yep. Mm -hmm. We've outlined in previous shows, and I think we've done this even within the last year, a variety of potential transitions, if and when it makes sense to leave a residence that you or a loved one has inhabited for a long time. Yes, and these include um, moving to a smaller home that's maybe easier to manage. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps even an apartment. And then there's always maybe moving in with family, especially if there's something like an in-law suite available in the home. Or what and are you those? like them. They're called granny pods, little well, things that you can pull yes, out of the property. Yeah, we don't have a lot of them around here, but yeah. Right. Uh, but with tiny homes becoming more popular, that could obviously um, increase. Um, and we look at many different options available, either as standalone residences or within what's commonly called the continuing care communities. And such a community is likely to feature, uh, let's see, you run down the list here, independent living. Mm -hmm. These can be either cottages, right? right. They could technically uh, you know, be apartments, I suppose. But the whole idea of an independent living situation is there, you're there, you're taking care of yourself. Uh, there really is no formal assisted kind of situation going on, and it's it's sometimes set aside. a meal. You might yeah, it might be a meal evening. plan, mm -hmm. but that's considered independent. Then there is assisted living, which of course has various uh, gradations of uh, care yeah. attached to it. Mm -hmm. 
Memory care has become a bigger thing really in the last 10 years. Uh, it's not that there wasn't any before, but it's really been separated as its own brand of thing. Yeah, because people are living longer. So we're right. seeing more incidences of dementia. And then there's full-time nursing care. Right. And sometimes these communities might also offer short-term rehabilitation facilities for those not quite ready for a transition, but in need of post-procedure follow-up, including physical therapy and often occupational therapy. So there are a lot of options for a lot of people. But of course, as we've often mentioned here on the program, the vast majority of us would rather not move at all. <laughs> and this can be for a lot of reasons. We're creatures of habit and we are change and risk averse, a lot of us. We've either got significant equity built up in our existing home, or maybe it's even paid off, right? Think about people who've lived in a home for 40 years or something like mm -hmm. that. And even while we might have limited or fixed income, our home represents safety, predictability, and comfort to us. Yes, and when people have lived years, like you said, Bob, or even decades in a particular home, they've also likely formed their social relationships and they have significant memories in that residence, often including the raising of their children. They've also become, I would say, very used to the convenience and familiarity of their neighborhood and the kind of rhythm of life that surrounds that. Their church, mm -hmm. shopping, their local library, maybe jobs, a senior center, or you know, activities, volunteering, and whatnot, right? Right, and, and we came through an age, I think, in this country where there's there's always a certain segment of people who have moved around a lot, right? If you were in the military, for instance, you might have hopscotched around to different places. Right. You could have been in business and say, had a where you moved from this corporation to that corporation and you were, you were fairly mobile. I think they say that the average American has, has moved something like every five to seven years wow. or that they might move, you know, up to 10 times in a life. But if you drop out all of the, the moves that people do when they're younger, you know, in, in apartments and things like that, it really does narrow down to a very uh, few number of moves that people do in, for the balance of their life. And, and for a lot of the people we're talking about here, you might have somebody who's easily in a house 20, 30, 40 years. They like the neighborhood. That's where they've been. They've raised kids and so forth. And, uh, you know, we'll agree that while staying put where we've long been does have a lot of appeal. It's hard to argue with that. We also know that whether we've been long-term homeowners or not, in our later years, our health and safety can have a huge impact on our need to move, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, things change, like we said. You can't plan for everything. Right. And for those who either need more significant health support or simply do not have other options like assisted living or moving in with someone or, or maybe in-home private care, then a nursing home becomes the most likely next residence. Now, any other time we might have covered this topic, we might have discussed ways of evaluating such nursing homes. You know, the things to look for, the particular things that you want to ask, um, and ways of following up on the level and the consistency of care. Mm -hmm. On And I think that's, you know, really important. Um, and, and these things reach as far as like cleanliness, the quality of food, the administration of medicines, or even therapy and, and much, much more. Now today, however, the context of this conversation has changed considerably, especially because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, as you may be aware, there is always news of this or that rise in cases or a spike in cases affecting 
our younger demographics has been a lot more of that news as as the, of recently uh, right as the pandemic weeks. has continued even with well and perhaps because of states loosening up some of their restrictions nobody really knows quite the uh, the cause and effect of all of that but <clears throat> in as much as you may hear news of younger demographics and younger people uh, getting sick consistently through the crisis it is our elderly who have had the greatest risk of sickness and death from COVID-19. Right. In fact, as we'll share with you in a moment, there have been quite a few extremely tragic incidents where the disease tore through a nursing home in various parts of the country. Certainly, specific recent policies and procedures may be suspect in some of these incidents, right? There's been a lot of criticism of what happened in New York. Yes, and, and just this morning, if I might interject, Bob, just this morning, um, Soldiers Home, and I believe it's in Massachusetts, it's a home for veterans, mm -hmm. have reported 76 deaths. That's the highest so far. And we're capping now 54,000 plus deaths in nursing homes. Facilities. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we're talk, we, we've talked about residential choices, right? But a lot of people don't have choices or a lot of our veterans will be in uh, veterans' homes, soldiers' homes. Uh, a lot of our other folks, because of means, or lack of means may simply be in nursing homes. And whether a policy put people with COVID back in those environments or not, the fact is we've seen these things pop up in the news mm. uh, where there's been a significant number of deaths uh, you know, in, in one location. Um, according to an article now uh, published with uh, AARP, uh, the nursing home itself, however, even aside from COVID-19, would appear to have had long as ex escaped the kind of scrutiny and practices that might have prevented more deaths. Now, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, I think, going on here, probably in the future. Um, but there are things that you're going to hear about in this article today uh, that you know we'd like to share with you that'll really enlighten your thinking about this. Right. So this is an article um, out of the AARP Bulletin by Joe Eaton. And it's titled, Reimagining the Nursing Home Industry After Coronavirus. Experts hope the pandemic will indeed inspire change. And it begins with, as COVID-19 ravages the United States, many of the nation's 15,600 nursing homes are among the most dangerous places to be. In the early months of the pandemic, more than a third of those who died from the virus were residents or workers at nursing homes, according to multiple reports. In at least 18 states, nursing homes accounted for more than half of all deaths related to COVID-19. Now, these stories, Bob, oh, they're, they're, they're terrible, they're some horrific. of them, aren't they? Right. In Brooklyn, we mentioned New York earlier. In Brooklyn, one nursing home reported 55 coronavirus deaths. In nearby New Jersey, police discovered bodies in a makeshift morgue at one facility in a nursing home outside Richmond, Virginia, to show that it's not just limited <clears throat> to New York City. <clears throat> a quarter of the residents, at least 45 people, died from the virus. So suddenly the nursing home industry, which has long operated out of the public view, finds itself at the center of scrutiny. Elaine Ryan, who's the Vice President of Government Affairs for State Advocacy at AARP, says the outbreak will push nursing home residents and their families to question whether many facilities should survive. She says, quote, I think as the data becomes clearer, 
families and individuals are going to rethink if nursing homes are the best and safest places for them to be. But, you know, change will be difficult, right? The nursing home industry exists largely out of necessity, housing more than 1.3 million Americans. Most of these people cannot care for themselves and don't have resources to pursue other options or family that can take them in. For many older Americans, nursing homes are their only choice, says Patricia, Patricia McGinnis, and she's the executive director of California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. It is an industry paid for in part, by, in large part actually, by tax dollars. And the federal government requires all states to provide and pay for nursing home care for eligible seniors and people with disabilities through state Medicaid programs funded mostly by contributions from the federal government. So how does the math work out on that? Well, Medicaid currently pays the bills for more than 60% of nursing home residents. So think about that. The majority of people in nursing homes around the country are covered through Medicaid. Some people may say that's a good thing, but obviously there are issues here with accountability. So that, the, yes. Mm -hmm. the article continues, this 60% of nursing home residents that are covered by Medicaid costs the country more than $41 billion a year. But because Medicaid is a hybrid federal state program, states have some discretion on spending. So benefits can vary dramatically based on where you live. Adding to the complexity is the range of nursing home types, often with different oversight or demands. Nursing homes for veterans, for example, are run by the Department of Veterans Affairs. We just mm -hmm. mentioned the soldiers' homes. Right. Nursing homes that serve people with dementia have far different demands than others. At least 70% of nursing homes are for-profit businesses. Many offer other services in their facilities, such as short-term rehab, we mentioned, paid mm -hmm. for by Medicare, to keep beds filled and revenue flowing. So we're just getting into the weeds here on some of this and so forth. We're gonna ask the question, what is going on with our nursing homes? Why have there been so many deaths related to COVID-19? What is the oversight that's been involved? And we'll be back with more right after this. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There's a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. Thanks for being with us. We're discussing COVID-19, but with a special focus today, our nursing homes. It's no secret that amidst the hundreds of thousands of deaths from this pandemic worldwide, that our seniors have been at risk, the, the population with the most risk, and have suffered sickness and death as a result of COVID-19. Much of this may be because of overall health, comorbidities, or other vulnerabilities felt by our, el our eldest citizens. But one article also highlights our country's seemingly foregone cultural conclusion especially for those of lower incomes, that nursing homes were or are suitable environments, especially in cases of fast spreading disease. So the article appeared on the website for the American Association of Retired Persons, otherwise known as AARP. It's called Reimagining the Nursing Home Industry After Coronavirus. The author is Joe Eaton, and it goes on to say, as the industry faces a reckoning, 
experts hope the pandemic will inspire change. AARP interviewed more than a dozen national experts to hear their views on what the crisis has exposed and what needs to happen for the industry to be safe and secure. Challenge number one outlined in this article talks about the lack enforcement of nursing home standards. Senator Chuck Grassley, you've seen him on TV, he was a prominent figure during the uh, Kavanaugh hearings. He responded to this crisis by calling for strict oversight of nursing homes. The federal government has a fundamental responsibility to ensure that, quote, the tens of billions of tax dollars that pay for long-term care are well spent and pay for that quality care, unquote. Before the pandemic, government safety standards for nursing homes were strong, but often not enforced, says Richard Mollett, executive director of the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. Mollett thinks those standards should include increased focus on infection control with rigorous enforcement. Quote, he also says, we rarely see citations for low staffing, and generally there is no financial pen penalty or he says, it's so small that penalty that it's cheaper to just pay it instead of hiring a staff person. Mollett believes that federal and state regulations should require at least one registered nurse on staff at all times, as well as an expert responsible for preventing the spread of infections that plagued nursing homes even long before COVID-19. If nursing homes fail to meet the mark, they should be fined or shut down, he says. In June, the federal government announced it would require states to increase focused infection control inspections of nursing homes and said facilities that don't comply are going to face higher fines. And we're reading again from the article called Reimagining the Nursing Home Industry After Coronavirus. It's by Joe Eaton and it appeared on AARP. But it really gets to the heart of this whole question. And we've talked about this before. People go into a group environment like that. And it can be assisted living. It doesn't have to be just nursing homes. We're not just picking on them. And when something happens, when there is disease, immediately the pro protocols come under question for who's coming and going, how much cleaning is going on, right? Well, just staff coming in and out. I mean, you know, if you, to be fair, if you look at the whole picture, if people are really close together in an environment in which in the actual nursing home, skilled nursing home care, um, you know, facilities, it's common. It, it's just hard, the infection control is difficult and especially if a place is understaffed now we may not have heard the news from all around the country especially private companies we don't know the whole story but certainly we have heard a lot about the nursing home deaths right that's been in the news and we're going to have more on this topic and don't forget you can write to us anytime with your comments and insights at bob and gloria at there is a season show.com we'd love to hear your feedback and questions regarding this or any show stay with us you are listening to there is a season on am 1290 and 95.7 whio dayton's news and talk it's our ask the expert weekend on the miami valley radio station with breaking news weather and traffic 1290 and 95.7 whio dayton's news and talk it's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. We've been talking today about the dreaded COVID-19 pandemic, but particularly in relation to what often seems an inevitable residential outcome, 
or destination for many of our seniors, and that is nursing homes. We know from the news that there have been many cases of investigators discovering horrors at nursing homes around the country because of COVID-19 and perhaps because of some of the practices that went on at those nursing homes. Were these deaths avoidable? Is there something about our system and policies that make the average nursing home a ticking time bomb every time there's some kind of infection on the premises? And we have to point out that we're not talking about all nursing home environments. There've just right. been some real standouts, right, Bob? Yes. So there's questions about whether the housing and care of seniors in this kind of group setting even makes sense. Has the current model evolved largely because of financial concerns and limitations? Uh, the ability to find enough caregivers and medical professionals? Always a problem, I think. Yeah. So we're going to continue on um, with the article by author Joe Eaton, Reimagining the Nursing Home Industry After Coronavirus. And it appeared recently um, on AARP's website. And there were a number of challenges listed within that article. Just to recap, we challenge one, they talked about lax enforcement of nursing home standards. In other words, there apparently are a lot of strict standards out there, but enforcement of them has been a challenge. And also for many, uh, there is no age at home option for a lot of people. We talked about that in our opening segment. Sometimes people have no choice. And when they reach a certain point of health or safety concern, uh, the nursing home is where they need to go uh, because of a lack of means very often, no options. So what are some of the other things that he mentions in this article? Well, challenge three, he points out, would be unhealthy environments. Um, the coronavirus outbreak shows infection control fails when residents share rooms, toilets, and showers, and when staff is forced to rush from room to room. It's also bad for quality of life. So uh, Robert Kramer, who's the founder and strategic advisor of the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care, says nursing homes need to be arranged so people are in you know not such close proximity that it's difficult to control virus outbreaks. And he quotes, whether it's seasonal flu or a new virus like COVID-19, it doesn't really matter. And you've seen this. When you go into a lot of nursing homes, you will see they may want people out of the rooms. Right. And so you see hallways filled a lot of times with people in, in well, transport in chairs or wheelchairs. Up against yeah. the wall so that they can get out of their rooms, right? right? And, and, and maybe they're watching TV or maybe they're just in the hallway or in the lobby, but they're all together in those areas. And I think, too, when we've been talking about um, understaff issues, it makes it easier for the staff that is there on shift, you know, to kind of keep an overall eye on everyone, quote unquote, kind of at once when that's the case. But they're closed close together. So um, improving those um, situations where people aren't in close proximity will require increased Medicaid reimbursement, he says, to nursing homes and changes in these regulations. And they're huge investments. He says, we have consigned poor, frail, elderly people to a place where often none of us would choose to be, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And now we want something different. But he asks, are we willing to pay for it? And that really points to a global question. You know, we spend quite a bit in this country on health care. The ratio of, uh, you know, our dollars compared to GDP used to be something like one out of every seven or eight. Now it's approaching, I think, one out of every four dollars. We do have an aging population. And as we've often said in this program, you need to do everything possible to prepare to have options later on in your life and perhaps to help make up for what the government is not going to provide you in these situations, right? 
Well, right. But, and I mean, private care is not covered, you know, assisted right. living or yes. maybe the, um, the, the nicer for-profit facilities that doesn't take into account the actual skilled nursing. It's expensive. Yeah. And, and, and it's, so it's, it's difficult for many to have enough and money will we to pay salt, themselves. Will we salt money away for these things? And will there be options? You know, we've often asked the question, you know, what are the costs that go into these things? What's baked into the average cost of a nursing home or for an assisted living? And these are complex questions. They are. Um, to really get at the root of all of that. But regardless, the market costs what it costs. Uh, and in the case of uh, a nursing home, if Medicaid is paying for it, the government's going to contribute a per capita amount of money, and people are going to make decisions then about how to operate these environments, usually to maximize efficiency. Right. Doesn't always maximize the, the right care that you might want for somebody, um, and that's part of the problem, perhaps. Right. Challenge number four outlined in this article by Joe Eaton is that there is an underpaid, understaffed workforce. How many times have we talked about this with caregiving? While healthcare professionals have been celebrated during the crisis, rightly so, experts say it's clear that nursing home workers have frequently faced low pay and understaffed conditions. In nursing homes that survive the coronavirus crisis, caregivers should be paid well enough to get by on one full-time job, says Lori Porter of the National Association of Healthcare Assistants. And staffing levels must increase so each worker cares for a handful of residents rather than dozens. The national average pay for a caregiver is about $13 an hour. And staffing shortages put residents at risk as workers are forced to cut corners. Abuse and neglect are also problems at nursing homes, federal inspections have found. And investigations by the Department of Health and Human Services reveal that many nursing homes have skipped background checks and hired caregivers even with criminal backgrounds. Which is outrageous, this, right? It really is. So Sterling Harders, um, he's the president of SEIU 775, which is a labor union that represents long-term care workers in Washington State and Montana. He says, nursing homes are chronically understaffed. Coronavirus is shining a light on the reality of these nursing home conditions, which so, is a good thing, right? Yes, and, and we've approached this from another angle when we've talked about what is your care worth? What, what is your age, your... Um, your later aged years, what are they worth to you? And so when you've got the caregiving industry uh, making you know, $13 an hour, often less, sometimes only nine or $10 an hour for care, and we're talking about unskilled care, um, you will get what you get for that. That there's a lot of turnover, right? right. And not always the highest skilled people. And we're asking a lot of people at we, that stage. We certainly are asking a lot of people, yes. Um, so challenge number five challenge number five is that there are few options for long-term care insurance okay if you're thinking about ways of paying for this that's another program we've done to talk about what's happened to that market the cost of care for a person in a nursing home is high medicaid pays an average of just under sixty two hundred dollars per resident per month an amount very few americans can afford on their own we're talking over seventy thousand dollars a year that leaves long-term care insurance as the primary funding alternative but the private marketplace for this form of coverage is spotty. It's almost dried up, in a matter of fact, in, in certain parts of the country. And it changes frequently, meaning few Americans can buy it. Now, uh, McGinnis supports a federal long-term care insurance program that would allow far more Americans to build up resources over time to fund care late in life. So you're not just saving 
you know, for vacation or saving for regular bills or regular lifestyle, but you're dedicating dollars to this point of your life where you're going to need care. Japan launched a mandatory program in 2010 to do this, but the last time such legislation was attempted in the U.S. during the Obama administration, it failed. So the question is asked, how do we move forward? So while it's much too soon to say how COVID-19 will affect nursing homes, advocates hope the crisis sparks what AARP Senior Vice President for Government Affairs Bill Sweeney calls, quote unquote, a moment like after 9-11 when people demanded change. But what form will it take? Well, to start, he says, we need to take a hard look at the entirety of late life housing options, including assisted living care, home care, and nursing home care, says Nancy Lamond, AARP's Chief Advocacy and Engagement Officer. While the past decade has seen great health care advances, care for the really sick and the really old, it's been neglected, she says. This has to change. Medicaid should be more focused on home and community-based care, and Medicare has to cover home health care to a much greater degree. Such shifts would allow care for frail elders to move from hospital-like complexes, these big places where, where folks are, I hate to say warehouse, but that's sometimes what it feels like, to smaller facilities, more intimate facilities with more individual care, or to their own homes. Some states have made progress in moving to home care. That requires more home care workers, and that is the struggle. That's the balance. The fundamental first step would be for the federal government to change some rules governing, excuse me, governing Medicaid spending so states can have far greater freedom to support home care and other solutions that keep more older Americans out of nursing homes. Yeah, and another thing um, to fix the situation would also require federal law changes that support a functioning long-term care insurance market so that more Americans can afford that type of care that they wish for in their final years. And Congress needs to put teeth into these laws, Bob, right? Requiring infection control in nursing homes. There needs to be a new level of accountability in how nursing homes put in place and monitor infection control measures. This kind of change is hard, but if it's ever going to happen, now is the time. This pandemic has made us painfully aware that we can't just ignore our most vulnerable people. Americans always respond to a crisis, and there is hope that with innovative ideas and bold actions, they will again. So, you know, we, we won't get into the weeds of all of the different horrible cases. We mentioned a couple that are highlighted in this article. But we know in our own uh, backyard here, there are vastly different environments for what's gone on in, in, on this topic. We've had some environments where there have been multiple deaths. We've had others where there have been none and, uh, or, and, and very little in terms of any kind of infection at all. And so you, you say, well, what's the difference, right? It's not just dumb luck uh, in a lot of cases. Now, that's not to say that somebody couldn't come in with an infection that went unmonitored, slipped right. by the gates. Nothing is guaranteed. Right. And, and we're talking about a population here that is vulnerable, and the possibility of things spreading quickly is high. Right, right? in this type of environment, for sure. Certainly See, in the environment, but and largely because of their, their health and uh, their age and maybe other comorbidities. Yeah, you put that those are things together, right. and, and you have you know a potential you know storm type of situation, right? The perfect storm. But obviously people have, in certain places have thought about this extensively mm -hmm. and been way out ahead of this, uh, not just for COVID, 
but in general for all of these kinds of uh, flu-like or virus-type environments or, or situations where they spread quickly. Right, and and I know it's not always doable, but I, I do think um, in looking at different situations, training is so important, training of staff and um, adherence. Um, who's gonna be checking to make sure people are adhering to the suggested health guidelines, you know, right now for masking, washing hands regularly in between uh, clients' rooms, right? And then there's always the pay and the staffing right. issue. So right. I think, quite frankly, this has shed a great light on things that needed to be fixed for yes. a long time. I, you know, it's going to take a lot of work but... and, and it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of monitoring and people committed to this. And is the industry ready to step up and do all that? Financially or otherwise, right? Right. That's yeah. the big question. Right. We'll have more for you right after this. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There's a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking today about the impact of COVID-19 on nursing home residents and the challenges that many are issuing to the industry, not just because of COVID-19, but because of ongoing funding and policy decisions and the practice, I think, that we've talked about on things like infection control. Right. And are there things built into the industry in terms of how people are housed in one environment and and care issues and what people are getting paid? There's a lot to consider here uh, that, we, that we really need to go through tooth and nail to, to find out yeah. how to make this better. And unfortunately, you know, the 54,000 deaths, you know, th that's a lot of deaths from nursing homes. Well, and have shed a real light on what needs to change. Right. Yeah. Right. So if, if you've got some questions or thoughts about this, of course, write to us at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. We'd love to know your insights on this, especially if you're a professional in the industry. We'd like to know your take on, on changes made uh, or changes that you think need to be made. And we can follow up on that in an additional show. Now, upcoming here on uh, There is a Season, we've got a couple of other uh, article, uh, articles. We've got a couple of other ideas. One is, how are things different for your kids uh, or grandkids than maybe when you were young? What has changed for the better <laughs> or worse? We find ourselves having that conversation almost every week or every other week. And you get together with some people and you say, yeah, we didn't have this and this and this. And, and not only are you talking about things like technology or activities, but behaviors, work ethic, things like that. Right, even just things like I would call that were treats for me as a kid have become commonplace. I mean, I'm, I'm even talking about when you open the refrigerator door, oh, you know, yeah. or the freezer. Ice cream was a treat in my day and age. It I, wasn't a regular my occurrence family hears, at night. My family always hears me talk about how if we were good, we were allowed to have a couple of cookies or something before going to bed, like an Oreo or something like that. And the amount of time we would take to stretch that Oreo out, it was like a whole art form. You'd take it apart and scrape off the icing from one side. And nowadays... You go through a whole sleeve in a matter of minutes. Well, I know you would. I, right. I did have an addiction to those for quite some time. We're also going to have um, estate sales in the age of, of COVID-19. How have they changed? You know, and what's the future? Is right. it going to be in homes or online yeah, even, and, potentially? And we've talked about that topic before, but this is a whole new take uh, on what's going on with right. that. And we also have this thought to leave you with today. Just something a little light. The long and the short of it. I'm an 84-year-old gentleman who stands 5 feet 4 inches tall from the basketball-crazy state of Indiana. Recently, my wife and I were having dinner at a local restaurant. 
Our waiter was a young man around six foot eight. Naturally, I asked him if he played basketball. He looked down at me, replied, yes, I do. And then he asked me, do you play miniature golf? <laughs> I thought that was cute. That is kind of cute. Yeah. Ah, the idea of going back to restaurants. Huh? Will it ever happen? I don't know. I'm getting used to Some not going, but I, I enjoy the outdoor experience. So it, yeah, I'm okay nice with that out there. during these nice months. <laughs> hey, we're out of time here. That's going to do it for us. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step and never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. We're here for each other and we're here for you, for my dear friend and co-host Gloria Shanahan, our terrific producers and everyone who makes the show possible. I want to thank you for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM, Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station from the Bushers Home Improvement Studios. Improve the value of your home with a sunroom from Bushers.